if I have an East Coast DC and a West Coast DC in the United States, I'm trying to already, at the time a supplier sends inventory, split it on the supplier's transportation costs yeah. and, and seat the amount of inventory I need in both locations. And you have to treat those independently because if you don't get that inventory correct, you're not counting on a regular movement of a lot of inventory between those regional DCs because that repositioning comes with a pretty hefty cost usually. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. If your physical and digital inventory may not be aligned and you don't have KPIs to track your access inventory and obsolescence, you might be carrying aging inventory and you might not be aware of that. And while some of the inventory may appear aging, if that is the critical inventory for their machines or operations, there may be a chance that you may not have these parts when you need them the most. Planning for inventory access and obsolescence is hard as you not only need to look at the global planning, but you also need to make sure that you are monitoring the inventory at the plant level. So what are the best practices to track and optimize inventory access and obsolescence? In today's episode, our guest, Pete Gratt, shares his insights into inventory access and obsolescence. He also discusses the critical metrics to track inventory obsolescence and how global planning might drive the inventory needs. Finally, he discusses concepts such as the critical components and ad hoc warranty processes that might disrupt the inventory planning hub and spoke model and how the supply chain network needs to be mapped to discover cost savings opportunities. And finally, how DTC customers that might be seeking Amazon-like experience may require micro-fulfillment centers as the traditional regional DC model may be too expensive for them due to the supply chain cost. Let me introduce Pete to you. Pete has spent 25 years in the supply chain, including managing the IT relationship and strategy for 73 PL sites with 10,000 employees generating $600 million. He now leads his own company providing services on six continents with resources around the world. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hey, Pete. Welcome to the show. Hey, Sam. How are you? I am wonderful and I am so excited to have you just because the kind of stories you are going to have from the inventory and warehouse work, it's going to be so fascinating for our listeners. Just to kick things off, do you want to start with your personal story and your current focus? Yeah, absolutely. So I've been in logistics for 25 years. I actually started out as a temporary worker out in a warehouse. And that's where I learned the most is really doing all of those jobs in a warehouse and working my way up. 
I learned operations, and eventually I moved over into systems. And I spent most of my career in FedEx Supply Chain, which is a large third-party logistics provider. Yeah. Again, getting an opportunity to do a, a variety of roles. And eventually, I, I kind of landed in the space between systems and operations. So my role was to really craft great solutions from a system perspective that operations could go out and sell in the marketplace to help customers. And then about three years ago, I started my own consulting company. So today we have folks all over the world doing pretty much the same thing, trying to help customers really get value out of their supply chain systems. Okay, and that's such a great place to be. And we are going to have so much fun discussing and digging into that. But before we do that, we have one of these standard questions that we ask every single guest. And that is going to be, Pete, your perspective on business growth. Yeah, I think this is a phenomenal time of opportunity. You know, almost always times of great challenge also provide great opportunity. There's a disruption in the marketplace and providers who are able to step into the challenge and step into that disruption and kind of craft a, a picture about what the world looks like and how to solve problems have a great chance to grow their business and not just in small incremental bites, but to really grow at scale very quickly. And I think the last few years in the supply chain space has been especially real for folks as they see what empty shelves look like on the grocery store aisles. And, you know, growth over the next few years, I think is going to be in that same space. We don't see in the conversations I have with a lot of my peers, supply chain returning to any sort of balance or equilibrium at least for two more years. And so anybody who has anything to do with supply chain, operations, transportation, systems, consulting, I think there's a real opportunity to grow your business. Okay, and hopefully your words are true because at this point of time, I guess, you know, nobody's sure what is going to happen in next six months. But yeah, definitely <laughs> there's going to be a light at the uh, end of the tunnel that, you know, we are going to have far bigger opportunities uh, once the COVID situation is going to be over. Uh, and right. you are absolutely right that growing at scale is definitely far more challenging uh, than having that growth in bits and pieces. And that requires very sophisticated planning overall from the system and operations perspective, the place that you like to play in. So now, obviously, when we talk about the systems and operations, it could be all over the place. There are a million people, you know, who are probably operating in this specific way, right? So we want to cover the specific topic related to the inventory and warehouse and what you really wanted to talk about the excess and obsolescence, right? Uh, and that's where you can really help businesses and reducing that and that can help with the growth. So I don't know if you want to pick a specific story uh, where, uh, you know, you really work uh, with the business. So maybe describe their as is state, what kind of challenges they were facing, how big they were, what was their business model, uh, and then at what point they felt that they needed some help. Do you want to describe that story? Yeah, absolutely. So excess and obsolescence, you know, extra inventory that you don't forecast having yeah. a, a sales need for any time in the short term yeah. can be a problem all the time, right? Yeah. This can be a problem when you're running a warehouse, when you're changing things up, when you're moving things around. But one of the best times to deal with this is when you find yourself in transition, okay. hopefully for growth, but sometimes when things just change in your business and you need to change potentially who you're logistics provider is if you've outsourced it maybe yeah. your building has uh, kind of grown outdated and you need 
new capabilities that a, a new facility will, will offer. And that's a great time to address that change. You just think about it in your own personal life. What's what's a great time to go through all of your possessions and make sure that you don't have more than what you need or what you're going to use. It's when you move, right? Yeah. We've all kind of been through that. And so in this particular instance, it was a, a high-tech customer okay. running a repair depot. So okay. this would be replacement parts and repair for people who had warranties and yep. sometimes extended warranties, sometimes yep. very long extended warranties. And so they had to carry a lot of inventory with a wide variety of parts. Yeah. And, and with that, it, it can be even harder to keep track of what really is necessary, what inventory levels are really necessary. Yeah. And they have additional challenge because as a repair provider, they um, they have to carry things that are old, you know, in reality, even though it's a, it's a new part. Yeah. And depending on what they're having to service and what they have that's still under warranty, they may even have to procure goods on the gray market. Yeah. To make sure that they can fulfill a warranty obligation. Yeah. So in this particular instance, they were changing providers. Yeah. So it was a switch, not only a logistics provider, but as a new facility. Yeah. They really wanted to be able to minimize the transportation costs. Yeah. To minimize the square footage that the new facility needed to have. Yeah. And to just have a better organization and efficiency to it. Because the other challenge that you get a lot of times with excess and obsolescence is, as we all know, what the corner of the warehouse gets full of, it's the stuff that you don't use and don't need. Exactly. Or, or don't need very often, right? And yep. So it, it typically isn't stored very well. Yeah. It's not maintained very well. Yeah. Most of my clients will stop counting it yep. from an inventory audit perspective. Yeah. And so it really ends up being the warehouse junk pile in a lot of effects. And so they wanted to be able to deal with that. And, um, you know, the other thing that tends to happen with excess and obsolescence, especially in a repair setting, yeah. is it gets scattered in, in um, mixed pallets a lot of times, right? That's one of the few times where inventory control will let you, like, sometimes have mixed pallets and storage yeah. Yeah. is when it's excess and obsolescence. Because, again, they're just trying to condense storage. We don't touch it. We don't go to it very often. We'll yeah. drag the whole pallet down when we need it. And that, again, starts to be an issue with, like, inventory control, visibility to the inventory, its inventory accuracy. Yeah. And so we really wanted to address all those problems at the same time. Yeah. So what we yeah. did, it was a little bit different. A lot of times what will happen is the transition between facilities is that the, the person in custody of the inventory will load it all up in, in, in trailers, create a manifest for it, and then you take possession on the other end to make sure that uh, it matches, right? That you have a transfer of inventory. Is we actually sent folks to the sending uh, facility to that dock and started to sort out inventory and run an excess and obsolescence yeah. on that dock. Because we okay. don't want to move inventory we don't need, right? Yeah. So we want to be able to sort it all, consolidate it, verify the quantity, verify that quantity against what the forecasted demand would be yeah, and then be able to disposition the excess so that it's all good, clean inventory going into a new facility yeah. um, consolidated and has the, the right amount on it. And that was really a great opportunity to do that. Save the client a lot of money in transportation, save them in the footprint of the new building. It was reduced by at least 30% of the capacity and the size that they needed. Yeah. It also gave us an opportunity to, to provide further recommendations to go, hey, for instance, you run a repair business. Yeah. Maybe some of these parts, even though you don't have to have, for instance, like a large hard drive as, yeah. a, as a, an item, it's actually costing you more to maintain 
a hundred different kinds of hard drives that have much inferior technology because the technology improves so much the cost was reduced. It's actually cheaper for you to give people better yeah. and only maintain a smaller quantity of that inventory instead of having to maintain a lot, a lot of this um, older stock. So it also gave us an opportunity to really scrub that sort of thing out too. Okay. Very interesting. So I think, you know, I am going to have to agree about the transition that you mentioned that when you are going to move, that's when you are going to realize that maybe it's really, uh, you know, time to clean up. And those would be the triggers that most people are going to be uh, utilizing as an opportunity to see uh, if there might be any opportunity to be able to improve uh, their processes and the operations. So I am definitely uh, very interested in this uh, story a little bit more. Uh, and want to make sure that our listeners are able to follow along as well. So, uh, you know, just to recap, uh, you did mention that, you know, it is probably going to be a high-tech product, you know, similar to, uh, I don't know if they were selling hard drive. You did uh, use the example of hard drive. So maybe uh, they were in that space and that actually provides a little bit picture in terms of, you know, what kind of products they were selling, what was the size of the product? Because, you know, when you are doing the repair for the satellite, could be very different than you doing repair for. Sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. so in, in this particular 100%. case, I guess the products were smaller. So do you want to provide a little bit more context overall uh, in terms of the business, how large this business was? How many facilities are we talking about? Was this more of the uh, plant or the facility level initiative? Uh, or was this uh, you know, done at the corporate level? Also, the problem that you are trying to describe at this point of time seems to be more of the operational problem. I would like to know a little bit more about the system landscape as well, how accurate their systems were, how connected they were, and did you have any insights from there? Yeah, so this is a, a top five computer manufacturer in the United okay. States. And, okay. and this was a few years ago when um, desktops were a little more prevalent. Yeah. So this was desktop repair. Okay. When you think of even the desktops that still uh, drive a lot of uh, businesses that need just a lot of quantity, right? That, that yeah. still is a very uh, popular form factor in the business world from a yeah. desktop perspective. And it's the repair for that. And this is really a corporate initiative as far as part of the bigger landscape. Yeah. Right. So from um, aligning the pieces of all of their repair, whether that was um, desktops or servers or laptops, all the peripherals, um, really running their entire network okay. and recasting what that looked like to okay. make sure that they moved capacity, they moved and consolidated where it made the most sense. So in this particular case, it made a lot of sense for them to take where the repair depot was and where the shipping out of kind of these spare parts replacements were and put them together in the same facility. Okay. So they had an opportunity to expand the repair facility to accommodate kind of this spare parts and replacement shipping. And that's where it was super important to reduce the size of the footprint that the facility needed to have because they were fortunate enough to have a building that had new space coming available yeah. next to the repair depot. Yeah. And so it really was kind of constrained towards the footprint that was already physically there. And it was, hey, how can we can we maximize our uh, capacity and be able to fit into this? Because there's a huge advantage between spare parts on a repair depot of being in the same physical building. Okay, very interesting. So I am actually going to paint some more colors overall to the story, and then we are going to dig, uh, you know, deeper into that. Obviously, I'm very interested uh, in these details. So here, uh, you know, when we are looking at the overarching operations of the system in the ideal scenario, 
let's say if you have the your systems the way you should be mapping and your the way your inventory is forecasted if you had all of that in the ideal scenario you should probably not have any sort of excess inventory so here in this particular case obviously we have not spoken about this system i know that this was a corporate initiative that you know they wanted to clean up you know wherever they could and they wanted to realign the warranty operations because that was the trigger for the excess inventory that need, they needed from the aftermarket part perspective or they were trying whatever they can because they need to meet the consumer's expectations because when they are going to send the computer you need to repair that right so they were probably had they had a lot of excess inventory so here let's talk about the ideal scenario where if your systems and the forecasting and the planning uh, and your operational processes if they are all aligned then you don't have any problem but in this specific case you had a problem so let's talk more from the system perspective where they stood uh, when they started this initiative yeah and we see this with customers all the time right is what causes excess and obsolescence yeah. you know usually it's a misforecast from some reason right yeah, we yeah. we have seen where some customers have um, a correct forecast and they have bad buying habits right they're trying to get for instance a bigger discount by by yeah. buying in larger multiples that maybe the purchasing has been disconnected from forecasting and they, they don't understand necessarily the impacts of some of those financial choices. Sometimes that can be a good decision to, to increase your purchasing quantity and sometimes, sometimes it's not. Yeah. But in either event, what we see all the time when there's an excess and obsolescence issue is there's no closed loop on the back of the system. Right, right. So whatever your upfront processes are, your sales planning, yeah. your, um, a spend rate as far as purchasing and how you're going to procure goods, those lead times, the manufacturing defect rate, yeah. uh, the returns rate, all of that, that's all great. Yeah. And even if you do a really good job with that, at some point you have to reconcile that to the reality of what has occurred. Yeah. So uh, you have to be able to take those numbers that were forecasted Okay. Compare them to actuals at a very regular interval. Okay. Maybe not monthly, but certainly at least quarterly. And then be able to root cause. Okay. What's, what's occurred here, right? Where do we see a problem? Where do we see, uh, hopefully patterns of issues and not a, a lot of one-off kinds of things? Yeah. Where we can say, Oh, yes, that sales forecast was off by 20% and that had that cascade effect here, right? Yeah. Because if, if, if you can discover that issue soon enough, yeah, the tools that you have to correct it yeah. are a lot more um, soft. They're a lot softer, right? So yeah. it may be as simple as we're just going to defer our next purchase. Yeah, right. And we're going to run through this inventory while it's still usable. Yeah. Or perhaps you know, if we're a direct consumer or direct to business, we're selling an end product. Uh, maybe we just need to run a promotion. Right. 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 Uh, those sorts of things. Those are available to you. But too frequently, our customers wait to the point where now that's unsellable inventory and there really aren't a lot of options available. Yeah. You're probably looking at liquidation, scrap, donation, yeah. things that come with a very small financial uh, return on yeah. that. Yeah, that yeah. transaction just ends up being pennies on the dollar where if yeah. we really paid attention to where we might have misstepped and we do it quickly. Yeah, uh, we're able to recover a lot of that. And I think that's true with a lot of data issues. You know, when you think in the broader context of systems, yeah, the sooner you correct the data issue, yeah. the less cost it, it takes to correct it. Yeah. And the less financial impact it has uh, on an ongoing basis as well. 
Yeah, so very interesting. So now what we are going to do is, you know, we are going to start this engagement as if, you know, you are starting this this new. So let's say, you know, if you are going to a facility or you went to this facility, obviously they told you that, you know, they have problems, they have this corporate initiative that they have to run, you know, they feel that they have access inventory. But unless you look at the actual data, you don't know whether they have the access inventory or not. Uh, you know, so let's say if you are trying to start this engagement and, and you need to look at some of the KPIs uh, to be able to validate whatever they are claiming is true or not, because if you are going to make any changes based on what people are going to feel and, and claim, sometimes that may not be true. So let's say if you are looking at the business processes of a business that is claiming that they probably have excess inventory, their forecast is off, uh, and now you are starting the engagement and you are trying to come up with some of the recommendations to get rid of some of the inventory or whatever you need to do for that. So what are some of the KPIs that you are going to look at? And once you have the details about those KPIs, what are going to be the next step to drill further to identify the root causes of the problem of access and obsolescence? Yeah, we really try to meet customers where they're at because we know a variety of customers have a variety of system solutions they've enabled, yeah. resources that are available to understand that information, yeah. and really the maturity level of where they're at in their planning, procurement, forecasting, inventory, yeah. management, warehousing. So one of the things we first do is really try and get an assessment of what, what do you look for in your systems. What have you uh, been able to configure and use? What kind of data do you have? What kind of uh, expertise do you have in managing your own systems? Because yeah. ideally, we would love to have a consolidated forecast that's married with uh, a sales plan and historical data yeah. and that sets a, a minimum stocking level over a course of uh, at least several quarters, right? Yeah, yeah. That'd be great. So maybe they cleaned up their problems since the past and now they really do have this good data. Yeah. Well, then that's an easy interpretation because we can look at those minimum stocking levels. We can look at the inventory that's on hand in the warehouse. We can yeah. start to find where there's a delta with that. Yeah. And then we can start to use our own tools as far as dispositions to go, okay, let's kind of start with the thing that makes us the most money yeah. in recovery and then work our way down, right? And, and usually that starts with, hey, can we just defer a purchase and we'll bleed down the inventory all the way down to, you know, it's scrap and then the only thing we can do with it is pay someone to haul it off. Um, always starting at the highest level and moving our way down. Yeah. So if they have that sales information, if they have that forecasting and procurement information, that's fantastic. We'll yeah. use it. A lot of times they don't, and that's kind of how they got into the problem. So if we have to, we'll go to secondary data sources, right? In the yeah. example earlier with the computer company, yeah, we actually could tell from the inventory on hand Okay. in the warehouse that it was excess and obsolescence because it had been wrapped and tagged from their last move seven years ago. So there's a whole segment of this inventory that's that hasn't been touched literally for years. It's got a thick layer of dust. You have the last <laughs> count date from when they even put it into like deep storage. And it doesn't take too much of a, a logistician to go, okay, we probably should question at least this, right? Because the the blunter the tool that you use, yeah. the the um, higher the margin for error, right? So you can't cut it really close. Yeah. So if we have to use just like um, inventory information that's available in a warehouse management system, or in this case, just physical site as having toured the site, yeah. then we can't cut very close, but we can probably lop off a, a good percentage of it, right? If we have really great sales data, then we can make really discrete decisions on a, a a part-by-part -part basis throughout the whole warehouse. Yeah. 
And so it really depends on where that customer is in their journey and how they understand things. Uh, not only for how do we resolve the current problem and disposition what's, what's extra, but then really helping them to go, okay, well, what is your next step, right? Yeah. If you've already cleaned up the, the, the problem that created this, yeah. and we just need to clean up the, the leftover mess, great. Then you're already on your way. We'll help you clean up the house. When you move to your new house, it'll all stay nice and neat and in order. If you haven't resolved that, yeah, then it's not going to do any good for us to clean up your current house because when you get to the new house, you're going to make a mess again. And we know that the the bigger lift in that particular engagement isn't necessarily the cleanup. Cleanup's yeah. easy enough to do. It's tedious, but it's easy enough to do. Yeah, it's really helping you to establish what your new cadence is. You know, what system tools are available to you in the yeah. systems you use and with the people you have. To make sure this doesn't happen again, right? If you're sophisticated enough and your systems are sophisticated enough, then we can do that sort of really ideal in the state. Yeah. Maybe you're not there. And maybe what we need to do is really help train you operationally to go, don't make decisions yeah. that are short-sighted, right? So I saved an extra nickel by buying five years worth of something that is pretty likely to go obsolete in the next two years. Yeah. Okay, well, let's help, let's help you with those process-oriented kind of instructions to, to keep the guardrails on to keep us from making those kind of bad decisions. Okay, very interesting. And I completely agree with your comment that, you know, if you are the logistician or the, you know, warehouse manager, and if you're looking at the inventory, that is just, you know, uh, that is a lot of dust. It's really old, outdated, excess inventory. Then you probably want to get rid of that. But I'll give you a fun scenario, Okay. Uh, and here you are really looking at the product, you are simply looking at the dust. But when you look at this specific scenario where that the inventory that is sitting there might be a very critical component that very rarely can be utilized. It could be something like a gear in the machine. Okay. The gears sure. don't break uh, you know, as often. But if they break, the whole plant is going to be shut down. Uh, okay. So sometimes businesses keep those components because even though they might not be part of your forecast. They are your critical component, and you know when they are, you are going to be short of them. It's going to be very hard to find that in the market. Uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be really hard to find the vendor. The vendor may take, you know, two weeks to be able to produce this. So in this particular case, let's say if I'm simply looking at the the uh, warehouse or the inventory, and I'm making these assumptions that it's really it has not been used for the last seven years. Most likely, it is going to be excess. It's going to be garbage. Let's throw it out. Uh, but the next day, the machine breaks, and then you're in trouble. <laughs> sure, and, and that's really for us where that kind of initial physical assessment yeah. doesn't create the list that we're actually going to go disposition. It creates what we should go look at more. Yeah. So in that case, one of the things that we tend to pair that with is its usage, right? So if we have five pallets and they're caked in dust, yeah. But you know, we use two or three boxes uh, every quarter then maybe we go, okay, well, that's probably all right. It's more than we'll ever need, but it's not a whole lot. It's not really creating a problem. And to your point, it could be critical. Maybe we'll never be able to find it again. But what we find is in a lot of cases, it's we use one box a year and we have 58 pallets of it. Yeah. And we have no new demand that will ever come in. Yeah. Right. So that's where we have to kind of reconcile that and go, okay, what is our long-term need here? And, and is it beneficial for us to have such a tremendous amount of excess or would we never use that in five lifetimes? So that's where that initial assessment at least just gives us a place to go start and yeah. to kind of narrow down from there. 
Okay, very interesting. So now, you know, we are going to discuss the slightly more overarching picture, you know, from the planning and forecasting perspective, the way you mentioned this company did the planning and forecasting. And obviously, this is a very global company, as you mentioned that they were the top five computer repair shops. So obviously, their forecast and the demand is going to be driven by the corporate at the warehouse level or at the plant level. You don't know what is driving that demand. So in this particular case, I don't know if you had a sense of all of the variables that really impacted the demand. Uh, Do you typically analyze or did you typically analyze, okay, what may be the underlying factors that might be driving the demand? And let's say if I change uh, anything in the warehouse right now, are there going to be any sort of underlying implications? Do you go at that level or are you simply looking at the plant level and looking at the trend, what is happening, uh, you know, inside the warehouse? And I am actually going to make determination based on that. Yeah, so we try as much as possible to look at it at a global level. And this company was a great example of really that opportunity by consolidating a lot of the facilities that um, were individually siloed. So when we think of the repair parts, the spare parts needed for repairs, the spare parts that you would send out as a a part of a warranty claim, or even maybe the spare parts you send to techs, to tech, like technicians. Um, being able to consolidate all of that need and put it under one roof really makes it a lot easier to plan and forecast because then we're not doing it with these disparate silos of responsibility and data yeah. Yeah. and information. It's all in one place. Excuse me. And that really helped us to be able to kind of reconcile that need to go, look, we've aggregated the need into one place. Yeah, We've given you the ability to reduce the lead time as well, because that's one of the other causes of uh, some of that excess and obsolescence when you have to have a, a lead time between nodes in your supply chain, because then everybody has to kind of um, have more than they need because they have to account for the transportation time between the, the, the sites. Yeah. So when you, again, collapse that into one, now the lead time is next to nothing because it's in the same building. We just really need processing time, but yeah. not transportation time. That helped to reduce it as well. So it really was uh, in some ways to go, look, let's forget about kind of what our forecasting plan looked like in the past. Yeah. Let's take what the demand was, like the end user demand was. Right. What we see that as a percentage, as like a repair rate or a spare parts usage rate uh, of the whole, and then forecast that into the future based on one consolidated view of that inventory. So that we're covering all the needs that we have uh, out of one inventory pool uh, and then deciding what that safety stock level really looked like and, yeah. and where we needed to be with those parts. And to your point, also deciding the criticality of some of these things. Right. So some of these we could get the same part till the end of time. It was never going to change. It's like a bag of screws that's always going to be available. Uh, those are things that you don't need to have readily available in large quantities. Right. Hey, some hey. of these things were. We're great market items that, man, when we found one, if we could buy five, we'd just take five and like <laughs> go put them in the vault because yep. we had trouble finding more of them. Um, so there's that uh, as well that has to factor in. Yeah. So very interesting assessments there. And I completely agree with you that, you know, if you are going to have products that are going to be non-critical, they are going to be available everywhere. There's no reason why you should stocking them, uh, you know, so obviously, as you mentioned, that criticality is obviously going to be a factor. And there are not going to be a million components that are going to be equally critical. Uh, there are probably just a couple that are 
super critical for the business and probably they are flanked in that windy warehouse so to make sure that you are going to have those available but exactly. the next segment that i am actually going to bring and would love to get your insights on especially when we look at the warranty flow in this particular case obviously warranty process was a big driver for this excess and obsolescence uh, as you mentioned right if, if you are simply doing buy and sell distribution it's not as hard uh, you can probably you know plan it uh, you know much better but warranty itself makes the process very tedious and i have seen crazy scenarios in case of warranty i don't know if you see this or not okay so i will tell you some of these scenarios so in some cases what i have seen is uh, you know they are going to map this process in the way that is not aligned with the business and the reason why they are doing this is either you know their erp that they might be using may not be the right fit the warranty workflow may be too complicated so what they have figured out is you know what what i am going to do is i am going to go outside of the system to map this process and when you are going to do that obviously you know you are not going to find the reliable data if you are not going to find the reliable data your forecast is going to be off uh, your inventory is going to be off so what we see in some cases where the erp itself is not aligned so now they are capturing in the warranty flow as part of their you know i don't know maybe crm system marketing automation system i have seen all sort of crazy scenarios Absolutely. they are not even capturing the warranty order it's not even part of the service order because the warranty could be sometimes in this particular case i guess the product is probably going to be serialized because this is a electronic product but sometimes companies don't do that because if the component is going sure. to be very small you know it's going to be too much overhead to serialize that so i'm probably not going to serialize this so do you see similar issues and do you feel that that could be a driver overall for the excess and uh, and obsolescence at 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 points absolutely right so we've seen people cobble together systems in all sorts of ways right they use uh, whatever is at hand and or what they're comfortable with right they might have yeah. a great system but if uh, you know joe who ran it for 20 years now retired and no one else knows how to kind of use the tools that are available they might be great tools but they're going to just use whatever it takes to get the job done every day and more frequently than not that results in kind of a frankenstein system yeah. where it's kind of a mix and match and hodgepodge you know I always uh, equate it this way with integration. When I have people talk about integration, they're like, well, it's EDI. It's a standard. I'm yeah. Like, is this, uh, that, no. No. Everybody knows who has to deal with any of that stuff. Everybody has their own flavor about how they do things. And they use things in the wrong way all the time. Yeah. And, uh, and so that's where it really takes that assessment of, you know, where are you at? What do you have available to you? What can we repurpose? What can we use maybe differently? Yeah. But I think that's also where it's so super important that no matter what it is, having that closed loop of the feedback and the process. Yeah. That no matter what you're using to try and, you know, execute your daily routine. Yeah. If there's nothing on the back end that says, how did I do? Where can I do better? Yeah then it's really hard to be successful over a long period of time, no matter what tools you have. But it's to your point, it's even harder when you cobble things together because there's no like indication back to you that says, actually, you're not doing a very good job of this. We got a bunch of extra stuff, right? Yeah. And sometimes it's the most rudimentary SLAs, uh, not SLAs, KPIs of uh, a warehouse that start to finally show up that it's, you know, your quantity of receiving continues to outpace your quantity of shipping for yeah. long periods of time, then that's a problem, right? You're not, if it's like 
a year or two of where that's happening like every single month, unless yeah. you're building a network, there's an issue. But if you don't have that closed loop, you're not going to know where it is or what to do about it, really. Exactly, exactly. So now let's go back to the the uh, you know the global aspect of the problem. And uh, in the global uh, you know organization, the problems are obviously going to be very different. So as we discussed that, you know what? When you have the global organization, some of the variables of the demand are probably going to be driven at the corporate level. The warehouse is probably going to be operating independently because it has its own demand, it has its own supply. Uh, you know, sometimes the supplies, uh, you know, may come from the other warehouses when this warehouse is going to be short. So when you are designing this logistics network, let's say the warehouse, considering the global map in the picture, since you have uh, been involved with the global engine, what are some of the considerations or the challenges that you typically see that, uh, you know, businesses, need to keep in mind while designing the sort of the global either the warehouse network or the logistics network yeah one of the biggest one for us is just intentional design of your supply chain network okay right? what what are you doing when you create kind of that map of how the world's going to look for you of the movement of goods okay we have customers who run a very traditional hub and spoke model so the okay. hub much larger uh, can maybe even be automated Lots of storage. Almost everything from vendors comes into a hub. Okay. And then they disperse on milk runs for transportation to the spokes, which are really large forward stocking locations. So the spokes don't hold the full gambit of inventory. And they also don't hold a lot of depth of inventory because they know that in their hub, they have all of the parts and they have a lot of the parts. And that they're going to parse out to each of the spokes through regular transportation yeah. the inventory that they need in the near term. That does a couple of things for you, right? So you have the opportunity to have a facility that's now large enough to take care, take take into consideration like some of the automation, economy yeah. of scale, right? Yeah. You also don't have to have buffer inventory in as many locations yeah. because if you have regular transportation, I don't have to worry about that in yeah. each of those individual locations. And from a real estate perspective, uh, you know, the, the needs in each of the forward stocking locations, you just have a lot more flexibility right. in what you can see. So if that is your supply chain planning that you've done from a network location and kind of your theory of operations, yeah, then it's, it's easier to come into that from a planning perspective and go, okay, I'm going to do aggregated demand. I'm going to assume it's in the hub that it's being serviced by a hub. Yeah. Uh, it's a lot less complex from a, a planning perspective. And I just already know that my regular transportation to afford stocking location has to occur. That's just part of what you had to have as a give and take, right? So that's, that's kind of one view of the world. Okay. And if you don't run that view of the world and it's more of a regionalized DC where, you know, all things are kind of equal in size and, yeah. and, and how it gets executed, then you have to understand that they're going to have discrete demand and, okay. and buffer that they have to have because the movement of the inventory across that network, once it's entered your network is an erosion to margin, right? So in that view, if I have uh, an East Coast DC and a West Coast DC in the United States, yeah. I'm trying to already, at the time a supplier sends inventory, split it on the supplier's transportation costs yeah. and, and seat the amount of inventory I need in both locations. And you have to treat those independently because if you don't get that inventory correct, you're not counting on a regular movement of a lot of inventory between those regional DCs because that repositioning comes with a pretty hefty cost usually. 
And so you have to just be aware in your planning cycle that, hey, this is the view of how we've set up our, our supply chain network and how yeah. we kind of see the world working. And it's going to require a different strategy than, say, the hub and spoke folks. Right. Uh, each one of them can be correct. Each one mm-hmm. of them can be appropriate if done correctly. But, you know, one of the things that we just really try and push clients to whatever their choice is, is intentionality. Yeah. You have to have one view of the world and you have to intentionally choose to do it that way and yeah. to, and the, for all the pieces to fit together, right? Yeah, I completely agree. I think you have to make your mind, uh, you know, whether you are going with the hub and spoke and or, you know, whether you are going with the regionalized uh, DC. Uh, the problem always is going to be when the rules and responsibilities are not going to be clear. Um, you are doing whatever, yeah. uh, you know, you can in your power to fulfill the orders, but that makes it a That's nightmare. Right from the operations perspective, from the process perspective. So obviously, you know, you are going to decide whether you are going to go either hub and spoke or, you know, regionalized DC. Uh, Do you see any specific product categories that are going to be better fit for one or the other? Are there any pros and cons of these approaches? I know that you have mentioned buffer, but I'm pretty sure there are going to be some product categories that are probably going to be better suitable for the regionalized DC model as well, right? Yeah, there's just a whole host of uh, variables that you have in play here. You know, yeah. what kind of supplier base do you have? Right. Um, do I have to get all of this inventory in, for instance, from uh, Asia Pacific, and it's all going to have to come in versus uh, via container ship, and everything's coming through Long Beach? Yeah. That's a consideration, right? The cost of that inventory carrying cost, huge consideration. Right. The commodity nature potentially of that inventory, large yeah. consideration. A lot of our customers these days, it's a big consideration about, you know, am I a, a B2B business? Am I a direct to consumer business? Yeah. I'm a direct to consumer business and I'm selling, especially e commerce. Uh, my expectations about the delivery time it takes to get to a consumer, yeah. those have shrunk a lot, yep, right? Yep. Uh, everybody expects Amazon-type service. Well, if I only have two DCs in the United States, that's expensive. You know, you might be forced into a hub-and-spoke model. Or even more so, you know, one of the things that we really counsel and try and help customers with is is micro-fulfillment, right? Okay. You're, you're beyond hub-and-spoke. You're now into many, many locations to carry inventory, where maybe your stores even become an inventory carrying locations because you have shipped from store. Yeah. Um, we're we're working on models now where it's not last mile, it's it's literally like last yard. Where in a large metropolitan area, you might have a hundred inventory locations or maybe 200 if you include uh, brick and mortar stores as well. And so that becomes more and more critical that you really understand what that model looks like and and does your inventory does your business do your con- consumers yeah fit with the model or do you maybe need to evolve maybe you were a large b2b kind of business before but you got into direct consumer and now you're doing e-commerce and it's a growing part of your business it's probably going to be time to to look at that network optimization and say you know does this really suit my business now and into the future and if the answer is no, then, you know, you're probably going to need to make some changes. You know, that's one of the things that we really see a lot out of ENO and one of the reasons why we try and address it with customers. It's kind of like peeling an onion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, 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 you can have ENO problems for a lot of reasons. And sometimes they kind of point out very fundamental decisions that the a, a business needs to make that has kind of evolved and, and the situation's changed over time. 
Yeah. And now it's time to make a bigger decision. So it's not even really that, you know, I've got stuff piled up in the warehouse. It's that my business has really changed a lot and I haven't taken the time to, to go back and examine my supply chain. Great. So when you look at uh, this data, obviously, from the network perspective, and if you are going to have so many different VCs, the overarching view is going to be extremely complex. I don't know uh, where the data is going to come from, you know, how you can really analyze all of this. Uh, you know, I don't know if it is going to be really the skew level planning uh, that you need to plan for each of the DC that, you know what, uh, if I have total 10,000 SKUs, uh, then out of 10,000, 100 are going to be sold more often in this specific location. So I'm probably going to carry just 100. And if they need more or any specific item, they have to place a specialized order and I am going to ship it back and then I am going to fulfill so there are two, uh, you know, colors here or the layers here in the discussion. Uh, number one is going to be how do you get this overarching view uh, of the network to figure out whether my uh, business is really aligned with how I had designed my network 20 years back. And then we need to go at the skill level or the category level when you are analyzing which model is going to be better fit for you. Yeah, so there's a couple of pieces to that, right? Yeah, I think sometimes perfect is the enemy of better and and we try and and rationalize like every single skew yeah when the reality of it is is that there's a small percentage they're probably uh, fast movers there's probably a small percentage of their great revenue contributors yeah right and part of what we see is that when a model has uh, the variables for a model have evolved over time where the model is no longer really functioning like it should yeah it's we're going to see in a particular area a percentage rise in cost of one of the functions of the supply chain. So, excuse me, maybe maybe um, you're running a regionalized strategy, right? Okay. And your transportation costs over the last five years have continued to rise as a percentage when adjusted for inflation. Yeah. As a percentage of your cost to run the supply chain because you're doing too many shuttles back and forth. Yeah. So it, it's a it's a it's a good way to have an indicator that says. Boy, is there a particular area where I see costs rising like that, right? Uh, when we adjust it for inflation, has my inventory carrying costs risen, right? Has my labor risen because of the inefficiencies that my network is now producing yeah. um, for my customers? You know, has my quality rate gone down? Uh, my customer complaints gone up because we can't meet the SLAs that customers demand of us. That's where we're really looking for outliers because if you're running a cohesive strategy, yeah. and even if you're not executing it super well, you're probably going to tend to have the same kind of margin of error across the functions of the supply chain. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So when you don't, when one of them sticks out, that's a really good indicator as well about how your business may have changed and you may not even have been aware of it. And so that's where we typically start to zero in and they can give us some clues as to where we may need to have a little more uh, precise view of some of that data. Because again, the data is all over the place usually. Yep. Customers don't necessarily even know their data. Uh, you know, it, you t torture numbers, they'll confess to anything. So if you go in with a perspective of under thinking that you know what the problem is already, you're probably going to find what you're looking for. Yep. So we'd rather let some of those macro things that tend to be correct, right? You, you may not have a lot of this individual data correct, but as a percentage of spend, you can probably tell what your transportation is. We can work that out even with napkin math. So that's really where we try and zero in and, and 
try not to spend too much time in data that's not going to be helpful. Right. Amazing. So that's it for today. Do you have any last minute closing thoughts or remarks for our listeners? Yeah, I just think that it's, again, a great time to be in supply chain. I know there's a lot of challenges. A lot of people are having a lot of difficulty. But if you really look at the things that are available from a tools and resources and learning perspective and how the world's changing so quickly, it really gives folks a great opportunity to to gather new skills and to use them in the marketplace. And and we would love to help folks with that. Could not agree more. And my personal takeaway from this conversation is going to be the supply chain is always going to be very complex, but there are also tools available, uh, you know, and the opportunities available if you actually gathered the data and uh, really figured out that overarching view where the problems might be from the access and obsolescence perspective. And that's where you are going to find a lot of financial opportunities. On that note, Pete, I really want to thank you for your time. This has been a powerful episode. Thank you again, Sam. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Pete, head over to theblackrock.group. It's T-H-E-B-L-A-C-K-R-O-C-K dot G-R-O-U-P. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Chuck Coxhead from Presensus, who discusses warehouse mobility trends in the enterprise and SMB markets. Also, the interview with Kevin Lawton from the New Warehouse podcast, who discusses why standardization plays a key role in inventory planning. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.